0: welcome to strat on the wall the podcast that unveils the power of effective goal setting and strategic planning i'm your host tanner co-founder and co-ceo of one of many in today's episode i'm thrilled to be joined by my fellow co-founder and partner in the business Mike Horworth. together we will explore some of the most pressing issues that have arisen in real world scenarios for example we discuss how prioritizing the delivery of outputs over achieving meaningful business outcomes can affect your organization
1: the big problem is we bake in a bunch of bias at the beginning into the fact that the thing that we're doing, the solution, is the answer. My idea is the best idea, of yeah. course, because I thought of it.
0: <laughs> How tracking the right data can effectively support your organisation's needs.
1: Most organisations, for sure, have got those top-level impact metrics, a balanced scorecard or whatever it might be that you can look at and go, OK, that's what matters to the company. But when I'm down in the weeds, what can I do that's going to have an impact on that? That's the challenge. You've got to ladder the data together.
0: And we spilled the tea on our top-notch management hacks directly from our offices in London Wall.
1: Yeah, lots of noise in the background, but yeah. don't,
0: don't be put off by that. This is Strat on the Wall. We're, we are on London Wall. It's all going down here on London Wall today. To listen to all these and more, stay tuned into this episode of Strat on the Wall. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Strat on the Wall. Uh, I'm your host, Tanner. I'm joined by... Mike. Mike is my fellow co-founder here at one of many. We do strategy transformations. We are a transformation services agency. This is our podcast where we talk about the wonderful world of strategy implementation and all the things associated to that. Um, this is our second episode, so this is all still new for us. And what we wanted to do on this particular episode is we wanted to field some questions and one of the ones that we received when we put out, um, a request for what we could be talking about on the podcast. Uh, one of the questions that came back is what do we see in the wild because we are practitioners and we've been having this type of um transformation work now for the better part of of, yeah at least the last 10 years I can imagine Uh, I say that with a little bit of sorrow because when I say 10 years and then I think of my age and then you know my my, my shoulders (laughs) my, my shoulders just dip down so um yes as great as it is we've got lots of experience it's also quite humbling at the same time but we're gonna what do we see in the wild right what do we see in the wild? so this is an interesting question and what we decided to do was try and make sense of that what does what are the things that we're seeing in the wild what is other people in the industry seeing in the wild as well and what we read a lot about and there is other consultancies much larger ones than ourselves who are talking about this idea of moving from functional systems to ecosystems right um for anyone who's familiar with organizational culture books like um frederick Lelou or is it cedric Lelou? frederick frederick lelu we we it right i hope we get it right if we got <laughs> it wrong please let us know um, has the book Reinventing Organizations where he talks about different stages for our history where organizations have changed and a future state is described as being Teal. And Teal is all about decentralized networks and ecosystems and organizations are moving into this model where each part of the system can operate independently whilst also working interdependently with one another as well. Um, but to get there, is a massive challenge right it sounds Thanks. nice on paper but it's not always possible it requires a well i think inherently in the name of the book that he wrote it does require a reinvention to some extent you have to reimagine yourself as an organization oh that way reimagine been used quite a lot but i think in essence it's the same thing it's not only the practical elements of what you would do in order to change your organization. But it's actually the thinking that goes into what would a reimagination of us look like, what would we need to change? So, um, we've done lots of research, read lots of papers and some of the key challenges, which is appearing, um, or problems or things in the world. And what was quite useful is these challenges are the same ones that we see as well typically revolve around this idea of and we had a bit of a discussion off air about this as well so the first one is focus on delivery of outputs rather than business outcomes the comment i was making to mike earlier is that um especially in the organizations that i've been a part of where we've been running change programs um the perception is the delivery of the outputs are the business outcomes yes right so but we know that when we talk to leadership, they talk in outcomes and they talk about three to five year states and they're looking at longer time horizons. But when you get down into the teams, it's all about execution of tasks and projects, right? But for those people in the ground, they do believe it's the business outcome. So where why is that a challenge in it itself? Why is that a problem?
1: I mean, vast majority of leadership teams will communicate the company's objectives through things like EBITDA. EBITDA is very popular right now, isn't it? So,
0: Yeah, Yeah, how many people know what
1: EBITDA is? (laughs) Uh, I don't think I know what EBITDA is. Um, So, yeah, it's it's very hard for someone to, I mean, imagine if you're working closer to the front line, close to the customer problems. Let's say, for example, you're in a a call center uh, helping customers day in, day out. What is it you do every day that's going to help improve EBITDA? You're so far removed from the high impacts that we're trying to achieve at C-suite level or a company level, that people feel disconnected. I think that's the challenge. So they know that the work they're doing in terms of maybe they're doing some initiative work or project work or they're involved in some form of change program, um, but that change program's normally always focused, like you said earlier, on the deliverable, the tasks, the solution. Uh, when that's done, how do you know the impact that I have for the organization? How do you know how it benefits at all? It can, how the hell are you supposed to know whether that improved EBITDA or not? And programs, in their essence, long time back, you'd have these three, four-year programs, and the whole idea was a return on investment, maybe it's headcount reduction, which is never ever pleasant. So, of course, you don't know, share that with people. Yeah, by the way, we're going to put a program. You're going to be the SME, and then we're going to let you go at the end. Uh, how how motivated <laughs> did you feel to do that? I think we world's not quite sort of that cynical at, at the moment. Thankfully, most of the work that we do anyway um, is genuine change, but you're still really removed from those outcomes. So. That's the big change where I think people are looking for, you know, personally, we're all looking for more purpose, you know, more ability to go home and say, what is it I did for the organization today? You know, feel like we're involved. We have got a piece of the action, uh, as it were. Now, I don't think people get that right now. So help the people listening to this understand
0: why is the focus on delivery of outputs rather than business outcomes a problem? Why does it stop people? What have we seen in the world around yeah. that being an issue in the companies that we've
1: worked with? Well, the big problem is we're baking a bunch of bias. At the beginning into the fact that the thing that we're doing the solution is the answer um yeah yeah my idea is the best idea yes yeah, because i thought <laughs> exactly and then if the outcome you're looking for is the idea is done so what you know i'm going to build this platform or i'm going to release this new product well what is it we're doing with that product what is it we are doing with that platform what's the impact we're trying to make what's the change in state we're trying to see by doing it and secondly, I think the other thing is if we focus on deliverables, when we're getting value realisation, so in a lot of organisations we work with that are agile, but you know it's like, you go sit with C C-suite, and you ask them the questions, what do you say to you? We want to go faster. We want more stuff faster. And I think part of the reason they want that is because they can't measure the impact of what they have, so what have they got left? Or just, if we're not getting the outcomes we're looking for, it must be because we're not fast enough. Yeah. So if we were faster, that'd be great. But actually... If I can prove the point that it's not your delivery time, your delivery speed, or what it is you're doing, but the fact that you can't get your value realisation earlier, but if I can let you know every quarter what value the organisation is releasing, that's way more valuable than knowing what you released. So if you ask me what I'd rather know, as an investor, and I was going to invest in a company, and they said to me, okay, at the end of this quarter, you're going to get a, uh, let's say it's a music platform company, you're going to get this new music platform, and it's going to be brilliant. It's so, okay, great, sounds like something I'd invest in. Person B is saying, I'm going to be able to sign up 50,000 people. We're going to have X amount of referrals. We're going to have uh, average daily usage of X. We're going to have revenue growth of this. I'm definitely wanted by buying you. I'm not necessarily now so much concerned about what it is you're actually delivering or doing, because I'm now focusing on the outcome that you're driving for the organization. Different, different conversation. So where does that message get lost? Because we've seen it so many
0: times. Yeah. So where is it getting it's because it, it's, it's not a ceiling, yeah. but it's no. hitting it's hitting somewhere. Yeah. And it's not able to breach or it gets mutated when it hits a certain point in an organization. It does get
1: meter. It's a great word. I Andy said it when he invented OKRs, for example, that it was not a contract. And I think that's the key thing is we have a very contract mindset in, in how we do particularly product and technology work. So we, we we to get the money, what do you need to do? Most people, you've got to create a business case. You've got to have an idea. So you create the idea. The idea is probably with some big long-term goals, like maybe three or five-year goals that you're trying to achieve. But then what you're trying to do is you're trying to then get a bunch of people to execute on that. So in order to execute it, what we do is we wrap governance over it. We need to have confidence that we're going to do it right. So what we end up doing is creating statement of works, or functional requirements, and test scripts, and... So we end up focusing on the work, not the outcome. And that's where the change happens. And that's the problem because we create this contract. Yeah. Whereas OKRs OK, is an idea, and a hypothesis is, hey, let me look at it from a different perspective. i come to you as a, well, you come to me as a product owner, I'm, I'm the CEO of the company, I'm the chief financial officer, whatever it might be and I'm signing something up. And I say, I want to make some hypotheses. I think I might be able to do these things, but I can't guarantee it. I might only be able to get 30% of this. Well, CFO might say, well, that's a bit risky, so no. But if I come to you and I say, I'm going to build this and I'm going to deliver that, you can quantify that and say, okay, that doesn't seem like a big risk to me. Yeah, I'm going to fund that. But you don't know if you're funding the right business outcomes. What you know is you're funding with confidence that someone's going to deliver something. Yeah. So it's a huge mindset shift, a huge one to accept the fact that we don't always know what we're going to,
0: deliver sure so you mentioned OKRs there twice because the, mm. the next question is going to be around how what's been successful like when we've been in the wild and we've seen yeah. these things what's worked for us um I would agree with you OKRs has been one way to facilitate that but that's not the easiest no, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the low that's not the low hanging fruit in no, this conversation no. that's uh well I think as like
1: big a commitment if not more than what they're currently doing now most your first experience, similar to mine, because mine was Scrum. Yes. Someone said, okay, let's figure out what the goal is for the next two weeks. And that was a total change because first time we did that, we realized we were just writing out what we are going to deliver. And then we started saying, well, is that really the goal? We just want to deliver. What is it we're really trying to do? What do you want to achieve in the next two weeks? So that was my first back in was that 2009, I think, when I had all those years back. When I had that first mindset shift myself, away from having a big Gantt chart with a set of deliverables that used to sit there and mark off, uh, you know, sit down with the SAP developers back in those days and ask how many percent through that feature were we? And that was what mattered, that's what I reported up. But then when we did the transformation to agile ways of working, suddenly it was a shift. It was like, what's our goal the next two weeks? So when I go back and sit down with the, the, the product owner, again back in those days probably don't have sat in another building somewhere yeah, else i remember um, those days yeah, as, well. we as a cross-functional team i was in the building over here they were over there you know you get someone together but you slowly started moving towards this group of a team together that were working cross-functionally towards an outcome that was the first thing so i think that that's still there's still something in that but scrum's been very much i'll probably take us off on a massive uh tangent now but Scrum's been very commoditized now isn't it so that um
0: it has been and its implementation and use has been um is reductive i don't don't know how else to describe it it's just it's just just pushed into a team and a team does it but then that's without factoring in all of the systemic conditions that might be influencing that team and the challenges it's facing scrum necessarily won't solve those
1: things but it does highlight them it highlights them but then Probably the same experience as me is that most organizations don't want to deal with that problem. Uh, I think this is part of the cultural challenge that we have around moving towards outcomes is outcomes is an unpleasant way of working. I think that's a really good word you dropped there because I think culture
0: is one of the missing elements of this whole thing, right? So if we're talking about moving from delivery of outputs to outcomes, why is that there in the first place? Because the culture is designed around outputs. It's all about... Get things done. Yeah. But okay. uh, how many times have you walked into a company and you see like four or five values on the wall and it's like, be courageous, be admirable, be this, be that. And then the fourth value is, get shit She'd done. done. <laughs> yeah. Or just do, GSD, yeah. It. Just yeah, do yeah. it. yeah, just uh yeah. And it's like, you know, you know for a fact that's the only value that matters. That's the only value that matters. That's the only one that they care about. I think I've gone into at least six or seven organizations and I've seen that on the wall somewhere because. That's what they get managed against. Yes. Individuals in the team is they yep. get managed. Their performance management is around how efficient you are.
1: Or well, you've got point there, performance management. We haven't mentioned it, but that, I think that's one of the corporates and the, the big challenges here is because your performance manager is based on achieved. Normally, a lot of people it's based on achieving specific outputs. So the systems are designed to reward output, not yep. to reward outcomes. Absolutely, 100%. And in the actual fact, um, remember when we do the training a lot of times we say to people if you're really as accurate as we say we are going to investment banking I'll be your first client because you can read the future you know we're kidding ourselves um, I used to say when I worked in project management back in the day that I was like the man behind the screen yeah, wizard was, Oz because every time what you do we're going to run late go and have some conversations re-baseline and move to green it was alright to move to green just as long as someone said it was okay so the first lesson I learned when I went to um, a sort of business review meeting and left stuff a red because I thought it was a good opportunity to talk to the leadership about the problems. Never did that again. Did you get
0: battered? Well, this is, I think, in when we're talking about successes, I'm thinking of different examples, but I'm not thinking of anything which is joint up as a yeah. single example because with Teams, I've had success working with outcomes. Yes, yeah. Right, because it's just been about, um, again, using things like Scrum and Kanban, to help facilitate conversations around okay if you were to deliver this thing but what would it mean to the business if you were to, to get, get it? it trying to move the conversation there and i think that has helped galvanize the teams that i've been working with but that's very local and it's very specific to a particular area uh, or group of teams Um naturally hit
1: that resistance at some point when you go up to like program Because so you have one those teams you operate two systems you have to put a system for them to feel empowered yes and they've got ownership by having outcomes but they report up through outputs and yeah because i was a
0: like manager of the team it gave me the freedom to run the team yeah. but i'm i'm a ceiling in it myself yeah the other instance is most recently in the work we've done to go in right at the top of an organization and change the thinking from leadership down yeah around outcomes but they're it didn't
1: permeate throughout the whole organization because then we hit middle management base that's normally the hardest because actually i think most of the c-suite are very used to operating on that on the level of outcomes because outcomes at c-suite's easy yeah you know, i mean you know, no disrespect uh, we know we're, we're we're ceos we know what the things that we're looking for i mean key number one is always going to be revenue unless you're an organization where revenue doesn't matter to you but most commercial entities you need revenue You've got to have to look at something around your people. You've probably got to look at something around your operation efficiency, and you're probably um, looking at something around your customers. So they're the lenses that you can bring to apply. And it's not that difficult, I don't think. When you move down to a team level, I think they're quite good too, because they're very close to the customer, quite close to the outcomes that you're trying to create. I think it is that middle layer in the middle where there's a translation happens. So top push down what they're looking for. The middle layer translate down into the series of solutions push it down to the teams and the teams then focus on delivery so you locally optimize the teams to start thinking about outcomes but then it hits the the ceiling like you just said with the the middle group that are translating to contracts they've made with senior leadership to deliver but the only outcome when you're working at the team level
0: is pace and i think Mm -hmm. that leans into the second problem statement that we had which was uh, around what we're seeing in the wild is that employees in particular Are unable to operate at pace because they're limited by the systems that they operate within is that deming quote was it deming i think it might be and i and i think i might have subconsciously paraphrased him and i don't know if i did it justice (laughs) or not but um i know he has a quote about uh, a bad system and what it does to people yeah but in the context of what we're talking about um employees are unable to operate at pace but i think that speaks more to the idea of Mm organizations because they're trying to optimize the whole set themselves up into functional silos Mm -hmm. and those functional silos then create uh unintended consequences of communication gaps um Mm -hmm. and uncooperative or uncollaborative decision making particularly around technology around what people do in certain parts of the system versus others and then it creating conflict conflict of interest really yes um and lastly, process. I-, I love process, but at the same time, I'm very mindful of it because process is one of those things that is really easy to
1: implement, but it's really hard to get rid of. Yeah. It's a comfort blanket, I think. So when there's, there's a problem, mm. a lot of people straight away jump to a process, like stick a bandaid over it rather than actually understanding the challenge. You know, we just put a bandaid on that. band aid's is normally a set of rules, some bureaucracy. But that's what a process
0: is, right? It feels like a set of rules and then we adhere to those rules yeah. and then we normalize it and then it
1: becomes part of the working model in the company that we're in. Yeah, the process should, if we do it properly, it should have meaning. It should have a purpose. It's, it, it's purpose is there to improve the system and we should be able to measure the performance of that. Um, but too many times that that isn't the case of how processes get structured, um, the pun in place as band-aids, as we're saying problems, then that inhibits communication creates misalignment. The best one I've seen in, in the world, which shook me the first time I began to realize it was happening, is you get an artificial harmony in a group where they're all agreeing not to really talk about what they're really going to do because nobody really wants to lean into to that. So it's kind of like, I'll pay lip service to the situation. You're going to pay lip service to the situation. Then we're going to go off and we're going to do whatever we want to do. And we've both kind of got this like unaired agreement, you yeah? know, you don't bring your stuff up and I won't bring my stuff up. Are well, we good? But that creates a lot of problems. So as a leaders, we're okay because we can kind of do the things that we want to do, but it's the people who are then executing on the work that hit all of the problems, of so the cross-communication, the, when you have a dependency on a different area uh, or different group of people, you're talking cross-purposes. You've not got the same objectives. But that's very frustrating and difficult to deal with, different priorities as well. So I'm blocked and I can't get my work done. But what can I do? So if I push it up to management, they're not going to do anything with it either because they don't want to go and upset the apple cart. So the status quo remains systemic systemic blockers that sit within systems.
0: Yeah, that's where I think uh, process could feel like an inhibitor because if, yeah. if your only solution is to escalate and go up, which in normal, normal understanding would make sense, but then the chances are your manager has to go to their manager and then has yeah. to go laterally or vertically across
1: uh, the and department. D- diluted as it goes up and across, diluted on the way back down, and it goes back down to you, and the answer is just nothing like what you wanted in the first place.
0: Yeah, especially if it goes to HR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might not make it any further. Um, I think about a uh, process around, I remember working in a really large um, asset management firm And they had introduced they wanted to move to microservices but at the same time they still had an architectural review board (laughs) (laughs) so you want to move to a model where you can deploy changes and do continuous development but yet at the same time you want to put in a constraint which fixes everyone to a single point in time where they can get approvals
1: to release stuff so yeah they meet once every 60 days as well right so
0: yeah and I think it's in those instances that I I, I blow all of these things down to trust mm. I think it's very I think Jerry Weinberg rest in peace who said um at the heart of every problem is a human one mm. and I think people's desire and pace to want to move at speed comes with a level of trust yeah And it's in the teams where I've seen the most amount of trust between people, where they've had the most capability to be able to operate at pace. Yes. um, I know a group of developers who are doing trunk based development, and I don't think they would have been able to do that if they didn't trust each other to break the builds and not take ownership, persecute the person (laughs) for doing it. Right? Because that's what it feels like in most instances. I mean, even the organization that we met in, how much control oh, yeah. did the architects have over the whole peer review process? Like yeah. nothing could go through without them. Yeah, development lead always had to approve every line of code. Right, that's a process. Yeah, it's not a process to benefit the organization. It's uh-huh. a process to benefit the person. Yeah, he lacks the trust. Yeah, but then everyone else suffers. Right. Mm. So, how how have we helped? I think a good question is how have we helped people be able to operate at pace? I think. The example that I would give is actually one of many, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, think about it. Think what we've done. We've set up all of our systems internally are all designed to support everyone in this business to be able to operate at pace.
1: Yeah.
0: All of our tools are all cloud-based. They're all very collaborative. They're all open. We have, for a management consultancy, funnily enough, uh, how many tools do we have? Again, it's like over 40. I can't. Yeah, lose count. <laughs> yeah. Nine the stack. We've got something for something, and we've got something for everything. Yeah. So we use an abundance of tools. But we laugh and joke about it, but the essence of it is,
1: is that we didn't want our tooling to be an inhibitor to our people. Yeah, I think that's really important. Again, difficult to scale, but when you're in a startup environment or scale up, I think you can offer a lot more freedom. And the system that we've put in there is the COP system, for example. So... Yeah. Yeah. Every system that we have or process needs to have someone's consuming it, like a microservice. So we architect our organization like that. Someone consumes it, but then we also need to think about who's buying it. So who in the organization actually pays for it, who's funding it. Because then at the end of the day, that's the person that needs to say, I'm I'm comfortable with this. But then rather having a functional owner for it, we have an SME group that would take that, you know, you have experts across the company that are able to advise on how a process works. And then an architect that's able to make sure that it doesn't damage anything holistically across the system. And then a verification owner, you know, someone that says, is are we getting efficacy out of this as well? Do these processes actually add value to the business? So at any point in time, the efficacy owners can say, We've created some new processes, but actually these are non value added processes. Like, why do we have these? And then through the continuous improvement board, anyone in the organization can then raise a continuous improvement of systemic impediment that's blocking proof progress yes so what we've got is a really nice system there where it's like a distributed only, a federated approach to all our processes and our systems with a constant feedback loop uh, within the organization and i think where we've set up those type of things in our organization particularly the continuous improvement approach we've seen some dramatic improvements there because you're really addressing systemic impediments and giving people the opportunity to to fix stuff and to have good com- conversations yeah i think it's worth mentioning
0: um whatever we do for ourselves we also do for our clients yeah we, we live and breathe the, the work that we're doing yeah that's why it felt important to use us as the example when it's yeah. uh, talking about success now granted we've got certain conditions which make that possible we are a small organization and of course we've greenfield we're able to do this from the start but is there any examples that you can share? Because one of the biggest impacts, I mean, we've referenced it, but the impact of all of the challenges around process and technology is the decision making, right? It slows down dramatically in an organization. Yeah. You go through layers and layers and hierarchy and bureaucracy just to get sign off for something, um, even an approval to get some work signed off. Yeah can go through a 12 week cycle in some organizations. Uh thou shall not be named organizations. 12 weeks, um, it feels, it's insane. If you're someone in that system. Yeah, yeah. Banging head against the wall. Yeah, pretty much. So we've given you our example where we've been able to do it, but we're quite fortunate because we started a company and designed it intentionally yeah, to yeah. do this first. Continuously improve, built in to a
1: dynamic architecture from day one. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, But what about other organizations? How do they move to a state where they can try to, I'm going to say liberate. I don't (laughs) know if that's the right thing, but how move to a state where they can
1: liberate people to be able to operate at pace? Well, I think that's the thing, is it? Operating at pace. OKRs, again, would be, I mean, we are talking about OKRs, so why not just bring it up? Because I think OKRs helps with, moving to pace in terms of strategy because there was a great saying from a, a, a Google engineering manager. that said, I invest two to three weeks at the beginning of a quarter into understanding the strategic direction of my team or what my team are going to do. And then for the rest of the quarter, I can do different work because I have confidence and faith in the team now. They know where they're going. They know what they're chasing and they've got the measures in place to let them know whether they're going there. So I don't need to interfere very much. I'm just an enabler now. So totally changed the way that he thought about work was beforehand, you're very hands-on in the work. You're constantly making lots of micro decisions. So this is what's kind of happening when you're in these type of positions. Is decisions are coming into you. It's like, okay, do I have the boundary conditions which I can operate in? If I don't really know what the strategy is because I'm just still in you know, a solution. What's the impact in the change of direction that you might make as a result of that decision? So I don't want to make that decision. So I'm going to kick it up to the next person and goes up to that person. That person might not fully understand it, so they take time. They may need some... So you get this up and down bit going on, and that just slows everything down and slows the pace of decision-making. But if you know where you're going and you know the of success, you should have a little bit more freedom within the system to be able to go and do that. And I think that's where OKRs have the biggest impact.
0: Right, but to make that happen actually leads us on to the third problem statement, mm. which is about this idea of uh, inability to use data in yes, insight. Because yes, yeah. in the example, you get it. Creating the measures means you know where the data is, you know what yes. you're looking for, you know what you're measuring. And um, we've seen this. Actually, it's probably worth mentioning. We've seen this not just in the in the form of an inability to use data, mm-hmm. um, but that comes from different sources. So in the examples that we've got, sometimes people have got too much data. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they don't know how to use it yeah because it's so much you drown in it yeah yeah second instance is they don't have enough data and they don't know what to measure right or if they're measuring stuff it might be just a series of vanity metrics oh yeah yeah yeah. you know they'll say that they're customer-centric but (laughs) the only thing they've got is nps yeah yeah nps skills are good so customer-centric yeah and the last one is no data and no idea what to measure yes Completely delivery focused and just getting shit done. Yeah. Just like revenue, right? Yeah. Yeah, lots of noise in the background. Yeah. Don't don't be put off by that. <laughs> this is Strat on the Wall. <laughs> yeah. we, we are on London Wall. You heard a bus earlier. I think I might have some Asylum as well. Going yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's all going it's, <laughs> it's all going down here on London Wall today. for the action is that. Um They're coming down to watch so the getting but I think it's worth explaining, like, why is this such a problem? Because it I <laughs> think for me I think this is one of the biggest inhibitors to being able to do OKRs properly because people don't have an insight. They don't know where they're starting from and they don't know what they're actually trying to change.
1: I don't know about you, but this is my biggest learning after we start One of Many, because I didn't expect this to be. I think the first two have been things we've been identifying, you know, for a background of Agile and business transformation is we've been seeing those type of problems. Um, But because we're focused on delivery and speed and flow and execution, we've not really focused too much on the problem of data. I mean, it's been there. I think it's always been there in the background, but not as much as it has been now. But it's all the data downstream. It's all the delivery data that we focus on. We're not looking exactly, at the, yeah.
0: the inputs, which no. are more at the top of the organization or through the strategy of what they're trying
1: to achieve and in influence. Exactly. It's all And more re- recently, it was the um, DORA metrics. So, you know, there's a big focus on engineering efficiency, etc. So we saw first it was velocity, throughput, um, you know those good metrics of course and then moving on but there's very isolated to engineering teams which comes i think again from the mentality of we speed up let's speed up the delivery teams that's the solution so i think that's been a huge learning curve for us in the last three years of one of many working with our clients is i don't think to begin with i was expecting the data problem and also because originally when we were with one client so much data didn't they when we looked there, it, it was just everywhere you went they had spreadsheets just full of stuff and when you actually dig deeper, we realized that the spreadsheets are half completed. There isn't much, you know, actual data in there. So they look very comprehensive when you view it. Um, and then remember, we were doing the minefields of going through, of just jumping from one set of plans on pages with data to another set with different data to more data. And the more we saw that, it's like one of those things, you know, when you have children for the first time, you see chairs up your head, didn't notice them beforehand. So now we know what we're looking for, going to other clients, we're seeing the same thing. So... Client recently we're speaking to, and they've got um, their quality report packs—fifty-six uh, PowerPoint slides of data, which they sit and go through. So i was asking, how do you retain the data that we can't retain it? We don't, you know. So we, it's important to the business that we have this information. So we get the information, and we do it, and we run through it all, and then we leave. Okay, how many of you do something with that data? We don't do anything with data. Who really needs it then? So that's the well. That was my first. Uh, in, weird sort of learning was that there is some cases some organizations have got an absolute bucket load of data and they just don't know what to do with it and then some of them have got this data that end up in paralysis analysis you know so they just start debating it all the time They so can't actually move forward with it because it's still too busy trying to interpret what it is well
0: that's the other side of the coin isn't it it's the interpretation of the data yeah, so right. lots of people also will gather information to validate their perception of what oh data inference yeah. Um, and I think that also comes from the second example of um, sometimes not having enough data. Mm. So people cherry pick the data points they do want to look at. And then from there, make decisions around where the
1: organization should be going. Yeah, 100%. Um, oh, we've seen that internally, one of many as well, when we've come to do our core chaos, is certain people picking a particular data points because that's what's of interest to them, but not necessarily what's of interest to the business. You know, or well, because that's a cool metric to chase. So then you end up with the vanity metrics that you mentioned earlier, chasing stuff that actually doesn't really help the business. But people want to measure it and improve on that. But why? How how is it helping us?
0: So how do you move the conversation away from because an inability to utilize data and insight, is it a capability problem? Is it is it a skill? Like, is it a skill? Is it knowledge? Like, where 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 does that come from? And how does, how would
1: someone listening to this go about making the change in their organization? Yeah, well, I think most things we probably will say it's not binary. So is you probably like your combinations of uh, things. You can't, you can't give the consultant to it. Depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends. <laughs> I was trying to be smarter than that. Uh, but you caught me. I think the, um, ask me the question again now. You're, you're throwing me off now because I'm going <laughs> to
0: well the question is where where does this problem originate from yes is yeah. it is it is it skill is it culture oh, is it and if someone was facing into it where could they potentially start because I I think I agree with you is my experiences at one of many over the last three years which has really demonstrated because we work with some really large clients yeah. and
1: they are really not good at this no I was just saying that's been my biggest learning And they've got tons. Yeah, yeah, they've got tons. I mean, they just don't know what to do with it. Um, So I think the first step to answer the question is the capability is a downstream problem from the upstream challenge, which is I don't know what I'm connecting to. So because I'm either operating in my own little bubble, I'm not operating in that connection. So most organizations for sure have got those top-level impact metrics a balanced scorecard or whatever it might be that you can look at and go, okay, that's what matters to the company. But when I'm down um, in the weeds, what what can I do that's going to have an impact on that? I find it very hard to ladder up into the ability to say, okay, if I chase these metrics, it's going to have this impact, which creates these outcomes, which then creates those outcomes that impacts on this bit. And then I can say, cool, I've done something that's directly helped the organization. That's the challenge. You've got to ladder the data together to create those causal relationships. And at the moment, we don't have them. And if you remember the um, first transformation we did together using OKRs, that was the, the big piece that we were able to do, is when the CEO was able to say, this is what matters at the startup. This is where we were going. These are the imperatives. So we had those three imperatives that we were chasing. When we sat down with the teams and we we're thinking about what it was that we can do that's going to have an impact on those imperatives and those key results, it became so much clearer. It was really easy to understand what we want to go and chase after and what data was actually important to us. Because the rest of the data, yeah, it might be important. So I think that's why we've come up with those three buckets. However, we've got customer performance indicators. So, what's important to the customers in terms of your strategic direction, your business health metrics. So, are we healthy as a business? Uh, and then the final one was the KPIs. So, you can have those key performance indicators. If you can put those lenses on it and then use the okls to drive change i think you can start using data correctly but until that position where you can start understanding what where data fits how does it fit into the organization and then how are you going to influence it you're going to struggle so i hate to use the word a framework uh, but done well particularly the framework that we use data can be really transformational Uh, but like anything if you don't know what you're doing with it you're not going to go very far I think that's a motto for life, right? (laughs) Um, Was it if you don't know where you're going, you might as well, yeah, does it matter? Alice in Wonderland. can't remember it now, but yeah. So, what final thought would you like to leave everybody
0: with? If if you're, you know, if someone was talking to you now and and they heard you talking about all of these things that we've discussed around what we've seen in the world, Mm. what's
1: one final piece of advice you would leave that person with? I think it'd be more than advice of what to do, but more in terms of, uh, you're not alone. That's what we're seeing. We stopped saying it a little bit more recently now, but we used to say we we're surprised. I don't know it would always go and you'd meet an organization, you have some conversations, you think that, that company must be absolutely banging. And then you get there and the doors open up and they show you <laughs> what's underneath and you're like, wow. Okay. And then you go to the next company, it's like, okay, wow. Um, and hopefully at some point maybe in the podcast we can talk about our own internal problems and the challenges that we're facing into. Uh, but they're there at every company. Uh, and I think that's what excites me and I think that's what excites you as well. With our mindsets are continuous improvement. So the piece of advice I give really is accept the status quo for what it is. It, the grass isn't greener somewhere else, but it's the opportunity, it's the gift that, that organization's giving you is I've got an opportunity to now continuously improve and make something a little bit better and um, using something like OKRs or continuous improvement processes that can really make a difference to your everyday life. Good stuff. I think I have
0: some definite pals there <laughs> to share with everyone. Um, but we're going to bring this to a close. I yeah. think uh, we, we've we've talked a lot about what we've seen and I think this is, uh, it's good to share. We've got lots of stories. I think something that we try to aspire to do is uh, talk from a place of so uh, not only knowledge, we don't want to come across like we know it all, but we want to come across no. from a place of being able to share, share real-life experiences, yeah. share what we're seeing. And hopefully that will be useful to the listeners. So thank you very Absolutely. much for tuning in. Thanks, thanks. for the questions. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the questions. We're, we're, we're constantly looking for more um, topics that we'd like to cover, particularly around strategy, anything specific around OKR. So thank you for tuning in. Um, this is a great experience. We're learning as well, continuous improvement. We're getting better with it each and every episode. So who knows by episode 10, I might really not, don't know where we'll be. Yeah, well, full-time podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to Strat on the Wall, your go-to podcast for organizational transformation insights. If you're looking for help in any of the areas we discuss on the podcast around agile transformation, strategy implementations, and OKR expertise, please reach out to us at www.oneofmany.com. Or better yet, click on the Talk to an Expert button and one of our consultants will be in touch. Happy to help in understanding your opportunities and challenges.